Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today's episode is a special one as we share with our audience the amazing content from the Braving Innovation podcast hosted by NADA. NADA hosts conversations with global leaders in the field of innovation, technology, and leadership. She dives into transformational stories from startup founders and thought leaders in innovation and venture capital. And this time, the tables were flipped as David and Andreas acted as her guests. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Braving Innovation. Thank you for joining me today. Today, we're also kicking off the second season of Braving Innovation podcast. And I am really excited to welcome two very special guests here with me today. They're one of the most energetic, exciting, up-and-coming venture capitalists you'll find here in, in Europe. And I happen to run into them. I was listening to one of their podcasts and I found it very interesting. So I reached out to Andreas and we hit it off right away. So welcome Andreas and David. And let me just briefly introduce who you guys are. Andreas and David, they're on a mission to democratize venture capital by opening up access to the hottest European venture capital funds at a radically lower ticket. We will dive into what exactly they do, their journey into venture. We all know it's not easy to enter this field of venture capital, as an outsider especially. How they've successfully fundraised over the past two years, I believe, for big major European funds and why they believe that early stage venture capital needs to be part of the investment portfolio. They have been using their background from startup ecosystems to really build a robust investor community here in Europe. And they're doing a lot, not only with their podcast, but the community they're building through the syndicates and the investments that they're doing. So thank you all for joining. Those of you who are joining live, welcome. We will be taking your questions. We want this to be an interactive session. So please do post your questions on the comments and we'll pick them up as we go along. So with that, welcome Andreas and David. Thank you, Nara. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be called both a leader, inspiring, and so many nice things <laughs> that you said there. <laughs> it's a bit humbling. So hopefully everyone watching or, or, or live or, or, or post, post live enjoys it as well and, and, and learns something and takes some value out of this. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I thought we could start off with, you know, I've given a brief introduction about what you guys are doing, what your mission is, but it might be great to get a brief intro on each one of yours background. What's your backstory? Why are you doing what you're doing and how you got here? Yeah. Do you want to start first, Andreas? Yes, happy to. So I think you said it well when you said that we have a background, both of us, in, in, in helping emerging managers raise their funds. That is where our passion lies. If we had just raised funds for the big firms, we would have raised more. <laughs> but we love these quirky small <laughs> funds. So so that's what we do and, and, and specialize in. It's also where we believe that there's this most alpha to get to. Um, but we'll, of course, talk about that later. I got into venture, you know, I've always gotten very, very, let, let me put it as, energized about whatever I am close to. And and 
that means that back when I was playing computer, I was playing World of Warcraft, and I was doing that up until I could get as good as you can get there. And and then I went into, for some reason, I went into bodybuilding, and I was just getting ready for a show, and then I wrecked my back, and that was stupid of me, but it happened. Now I'm 30, 40 kilos lighter, and, and probably also quite a bit smarter, Hope I hope so. And now, now I then find myself, or I found myself back in the days at the university, getting super involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, getting close to, to, to the vice chancellor of the university, kind of took me under his wing for some reason and, and introduced me to, to, to the world of business. And, and that got me into, into uh, helping run a VC fund in Denmark that was government-backed, which then got me into the whole world of raising capital for fund managers. And I just found out that, well, if we want capital to startups, we need to focus on getting more capital to VC funds. Because it's really not, the startups don't really go and get funded anywhere else than in VC. And in Europe, we have this huge issue of getting money into the VC funds because that, you know, historically, it has been a poor performing asset class in Europe 20, 30 years ago. And it is something, and, you know, we can talk about the reasons for that, but it's not like that any, at, at all anymore. And that is what we kind of need to preach to the ecosystem. And we've got a lot of poor structures in Europe to invest into funds. And that's also something that needs taken care of. And that is very much what what I saw that I could help contribute to. And, and and then through this journey, I met David in 2018, and we can talk more about our love story. But first, I'll let David talk a bit about how he got into venture. Yeah, our, our love story and romance. I think now that you put it, you put it beautifully, it's, it's, it's incredibly hard to break into venture. But I also think it's very uncommon to see people who break into venture by design. I think it's mostly by serendipity or luck or chance or whatever you want to call it. And I very much, I very much see myself in that group. So, you know, I think I, I I was I was like a young young kid. I had no idea what I wanted to do, so I was just kind of keeping my options open, doing whatever I could, I could to like keep you know the optionality. That was freedom for I'm a millennial, right? So that that is some some uh, something that is unique about our, our generation, I think. So I started as an engineer, you know, wanted to leverage that minor in management. Then did, did like a, a special degree in innovation that led me abroad. I actually went to the U.S. to visit some some innovation ecosystems and startup ecosystems, and that was like probably the first spark. Right, going going to like where where, where things started in, in our industry, that kind of got me interested. That was the beginning, I would say. Then I found this like exited university, found this like crazy exited founder who's starting a new startup, and for whatever reason, this dude just loved me. Right, I, I don't know why, and he just trusted me. Like zero experience coming out of uni, engineer dude to be head of business development and lead a team of three. Like, who the hell does that? This guy is crazy, and I owe him so much. I'm not in touch with him anymore, actually, but I still owe him a lot. And I did every single mistake you can do, literally. I think I've done some nice stuff as well, but but I did every single fuck up that you can in 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 this first experience in in in, in a position of responsibility, actually. But actually, you know, in the process of of building that startup and fundraising for it, I fell in love with with, with the fundraising side and with financing innovation. And and looking back, I think you know that startup experience is quite fundamental to to what what I'm doing now because you know I, I definitely I, I have the utmost utmost respect for entrepreneurs and operators and what they're doing. I believe in the power of entrepreneurship for positive change. I believe in the power of technology and I believe in using money to solve big problems. I don't necessarily believe that I am the best person to do that myself. Right. And so I, I love this 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 quote by John Dewar that I all, all, always adapted, which is if I can't invent the future myself, well, at least I can help drive some money to people who are doing that, right? And that that is kind of what drives me, this 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 desire to help this atomic unit, which is the startup that basically drives change and drives, you know, 
positive impact, hopefully, if, if, we're, if we're deploying the money in the right place. And so to come back to my story and to make it very short, you know, fell in love with the fundraising side at that, at that stage and decided to help founders fundraise. Extremely, extremely lucky myself to know a lot of founders. So I did it for free for, for a year or two, actually. Then I started building a business model out of that. And I think the inflection point in when, I, when I truly break into venture is when I raise with a French bio startup. I helped them raise a bridge round, nice-sized bridge round. And I kind of got in the radar of the investors that, that were in that startup already, so the seed stage investors. And they were spinning out and starting their own, their own, their own VC fund. And they were like, hmm, David, we like you. You did a nice job. Do you want to help us? I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to break into venture for like three, four years. So uh, so very serendipitous, very kind of unstructured. That is that is the story of how I break into venture and, and also what drives me in, in kind of, you know, democratizing the asset class and helping drive more money into, into, into venture. Thank you. Yeah, really inspiring to listen to both of your stories. And you both of, both of you come c kind of from a different angle, David, you having worked as an operator within startups, having raised for startups. And I, I find it interesting, Andreas, when you talked about sort of coming in a little bit from the academia perspective and, you know, bringing sort of both, both of those experiences together into what, what you do. And also, you know, very humbling to see you guys talk about how you're really coming in there with this vision of, yeah, it is hard for people to break into it, but both of you broke into it believing that anyone can enter enter this field because there's a general misconception that either you need to have a lot of money to enter venture capital, or you know this is something that you need to have a lot of experience in. And it's kind of like you're saying, serendipity. Uh, <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> yeah, so like. I, I, I actually, not a, I actually, if I may stop you, you know, uh, because it is difficult to break into venture. And for sure, if you've got a lot of money, it's easier because then you can angel invest your route into it, right? But the fact of the matter is that, that you know, as David ended up saying as well, he spent four years and all of a sudden, you know, he ended up actually getting that. But he, he did consciously work four years to work his way in there. You know, I fell into it. You might also call it serendipitously, but, you know, Nonetheless, I had spent four years or so in the startup ecosystem. I had worked my butt off also as David without making any money compared to what I could if I wanted to do consulting. So in that sense, you know, I think that it is very, very true that if you aren't born inside the ecosystem, then it is a tough route in there. And there's a good reason to say that you can't. Well, of course you can. You can do anything, right? But it is very, very difficult. And I agree. And what I found is that they're not, it's not like there are lots of jobs available for people to enter into a venture capital firm and they're looking for very specific types of people. But what you are showing in role modeling is that if this is a space that's interesting for you and you find the right partners and do the right things, then you can make a name and, and both of you have done that really well. And one of the things that I've learned by listening to both of you uh, on your podcast and reading some of your material is that the whole space around fund managers is really on the rise. More and more, we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurship happening in that space. And so you could talk a little bit about that, about what you were doing in particular and what you're seeing in terms of how you saw a problem arise as we're seeing more emerging managers, fund managers coming into the market. I yeah. think, I think... I think Andreas, take it, take it. It's the origin story to some extent, so take it away. <laughs> now, what I was about to say was that, you know, there's kind of two angles to it. One is how do you break into venture and raise a fund yourself? And then there's there's how do you break into venture in terms of investing there? And you're asking about the trends. And, and I think that there is there is a really powerful trend happening, not only in, in Europe, actually also in the U.S., which is the democratization of the asset class and and, and 
the fact that you can now invest into venture funds with small tickets, it's just not widely dispersed yet. It's not something that you notice unless you're knee deep in the ecosystem. But, you know, that is what David and I, as an example, are allowing. And what we're doing is, you know, we're, we're allowing for investors to come in and put small tickets into a larger syndicate that we're doing that we then we then we then place the money inside the VC firm. And and we believe that's incredibly powerful because it's one thing that 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 you of course we, we fulfill our own mission and drive to be investing into venture funds and 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 helping these funds also gain traction and, and, and create a, a really strong syndicate to back them. That's one thing. But but it also allows every single person who partakes in our syndicate to also get exposure to the fund manager. Meaning, so first of all, if we take a step back, right? Normally, if you want to invest into a venture fund, you need to be coming out with around 100K, you know, as the bare minimum as the investment amount. And that's a regulatory minimum. So you can't really go below that as a single individual. And then most of the good funds have 250 or 500K as the minimum ticket, which only increases the wealth that you need to have to be able to invest there. And if you do the math and say that venture should be a quite small part of your asset allocation strategy, then you know you need to be very, very wealthy before you start doing 250 and 500 K checks. So what we're doing in step to open up that opportunity is we do we pool everyone in one vehicle that then invests into the fund, which allows us to cross the minimum mark, but still allows us to bring everyone in with us. What we say is there's other people doing the same thing. They focus on you might call the retail segment. That is not our game at all. So we don't want mom and pops investing with us. We want people inside the venture ecosystem investing with us because we believe there's so much to gain for the VC from that syndicate. Because just as you have an angel syndicate that can provide value, you can in the same way have a syndicate of, you know, we call it limited partners, right? That's the terminology of this game, but of of investors into a VC fund that all help in bringing the the, the returns and the, 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 the operations of that fund up in up. Up, up to a better level. And, you know, I can dive deeper on that, but I don't know, Nada, if you want me to do that just now. Are you muted, now? Of course. No, I was just wondering if you're differentiating between an angel investor versus a venture capital VC, and if you could kind of elaborate on what do you see as a difference there? And there's a fundamental difference in that an angel investor investing their own money, whereas a venture capitalist are investing money on behalf of others. So they've raised the fund. Now they're stewards of the people's money that have invested it with them. And, and that means that, you know, you have a difference in motivation and in degrees of freedom and so on, meaning an angel can do whatever he wants, he or she wants, whereas the VC typically has a very strong thesis that people have backed him to do and then goes out and execute against. But that also means that, that that the angel investor can be wealthy and come from a lawyer background and choose to start invest their own money. And that does not necessarily mean that that person knows a lot about the space he's investing in. But if you have a venture capitalist, I, I say that they're a bit the pros of, 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 of venture investing in the sense that they're the ones who are doing it professionally. They've raised 10, 20 million as the absolute minimum. And, and that means that there's some very wealthy people that have given them, you know, the backing of actually saying, I trust you to manage my money and find the best investments inside B2B SaaS or, you know, biotech or whatever is the thesis that you have. And that's where the, I think that the main, wouldn't you say, David? 
Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Nothing, nothing to add there. I'd only say now that if I, if I, if I step back, right, and I look at your first question, your original question, the trends, and and I, I said the origin story a while back because I was thinking, you know, why, why did we even start this, right? Why, why, why did Andreas look at, at his wife and say, "Honey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit my job and start working with this guy that I met two years ago in Madrid, and I haven't seen him for two years." Right, and then we build a company remote for a year and a half, where we don't meet. So, what led us to be that crazy? Right, what 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 was it? What, what were we seeing? Right, we were seeing something, and I think I think the the underlying motivation at first was that we are both European bred, super proud Europeans, wanting to do more in Europe, active in venture, and we're like, we love listening to a Brit guy interviewing the best U.S. investors and in startups. But what about what about Europe? What about what we we want to see on a daily basis? What about what's going on here? And we love Harry Stebbings. We love the twenty minute. We see huge inspiration for both of us. But that's actually the big reason why we built what what we have now on the podcast front was that was like you know we want to hear about the amazing stories in Europe. And if I and if I start kind of think now about the data that that we now have and and that we've been seeing, and I'm actually quoting from. Um, a report that that we shared quite a bit on 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 LinkedIn actually uh, by Affinity. We can actually share the link if anyone's interested. You know, we 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 see that you know this like 2021, so last year, Europe produced five times more unicorns than, than the year before, and the pace of increase of a number of unicorns is actually there's some discussion here, but at par if not higher than the US. That's extremely interesting. We also know that you know the the average kind of valuation of European unicorns is 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 higher than ever. I think the average valuation is now 7.2 billion among unicorns or something like that. And so there, there's just this huge amount of potential here that is brewing and growing and growing and growing. But what's amazing about Europe is that it's so big. So who the hell knows where the next success story is going to come from? It's not necessarily London or Berlin. It's not yeah. necessarily a capital that we know, right? And that's beautiful. But yeah. that means that the best equipped people to seize that opportunity are the local emerging managers specialized that are seeing things before anyone else. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing that is super exciting, which is there's a huge opportunity, things are growing, but who's going to seize it? It's not the multi-stage, in my opinion, it's not the multi-stage big US funds coming to Europe. They will take it at a later stage, of course, they have a role to play there. But what excites me personally and us to some extent is these guys and girls that are seeing on the grounds and finding the deals. So the European VC podcast is a way to champion them and the syndicates is a way to help them, but also connect the European community and ecosystem to them. And that's kind of what we're, the trends that, that I love to talk about and get excited about. Mm. No, and thank you for, for laying that out, how the ecosystem globally is changing and how Europe and I think Asia also to some extent is rising. And we're seeing unicorns coming from other places than just Silicon Valley. And I, I wanted to just kind of say, because I just picked up this book by Jason Calacanis called Angel, and he has this chapter. <laughs> and the heading of the chapter is, do you need to be in Silicon Valley to be a great angel investor? That's the question he asks. And the response is, and this is just like a one word chapter. His response is yes. Yeah. And and this book is in 2017. Guess, like, where, guess where he is? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, um, and also, Nada, also guess what he's uh, what is he also doing? He's running a syndicate for people to co-invest with him. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, if I may just break in there, you know, that's of course complete bullshit. Do you do you if you're in the U.S. Do you have a strong you know reason to be very involved in the? seen going on in Silicon Valley for sure 100%. I always also say that you know if you've met all the good founders in a certain space in 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 
in Silicon Valley, then you've met most of all the good founders in the U.S. in that same space because Silicon Valley is just so dominating in the U.S. What David touched on before is it's completely different in, in Europe in that you used to be able to some extent to say that about, about you know, London, Berlin, and so on, but you just cannot do that anymore. Where did UiPath come from, right? That's one of the biggest successes from from from. Where did, uh, that was not a COVID, COVID vaccines, right? Like it's yeah. it's just we had there was no capital in Europe, so European founders are actually going there, and 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 European nationals are actually going there. Not only European, outside of Europe as well. The game is different now. <laughs> it's just completely different. I mean, it, it it's changed enormously, and that's also very much why we say that angel investors should think about even more than before, probably. How can they get exposure to deals that come from other geos? Because, you know, you can be the best in Denmark and you can get the best whatever inside whatever vertical in Denmark. But that does not mean that you get the winner in Europe in that category. That Because that, that is most likely not coming from Denmark. It might come from Denmark, but most likely it's not. So that's why I always say, well, as an angel, I want to amplify my thesis by making sure that, okay, if I love biotech, and I'm going to, of course, and I'm in Denmark, I'm going to be the, probably amongst the best in Denmark doing biotech. So I, I've got that covered. But do I have any idea what's going on in, in, in Germany or Portugal or Spain or Italy or Romania? No, I don't. Do I want to have exposure, both financial, but also a finger in the, on, you know, in the ground, getting to know what's happening there, learning from all the ecosystems there, so that I can either piggyback myself and go there with my own money and go direct, or just simply say that, okay, I had the financial exposure via the funds there. That's why I say that any angel should have VCs in their portfolio. Not big, you know, it shouldn't be the majority because normally, you know, you would have to have VC fill up a lot allocation-wise. Uh, and that would, of course, take the fun out of investing if you don't have any dry powder yourself because you would have to do these very big VC fund investments. But now that we're seeing VC being more accessible with smaller tickets, you can suddenly start doing it for all the other reasons and then say, nah, I'm only going to put 5K or 10K or 1K even. You know, our minimum ticket is 1K because we say we want impact investors. We don't want people just investing because they're wealthy and then so the only people we want with us. There's a bit of different perspectives on that. And the business model is, of course, stronger if you <laughs> if you just require people to put 10K. But that's just, just not what we want to do. We want to open up the asset class and, and, and give angels, wherever they are, the opportunity to start getting VC funds in their in their portfolio because there's so much to win both for the VCs and for the angels. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And I think the point that JKL makes in his book is really about, you know, why does ecosystem like Silicon Valley work so well um, and how you can create those kind of ecosystems elsewhere and in a digital world if you don't have to be physically ro lo located together. And it's really because of the way that talent moves and where the talent is and where the investors are. They're all in the same place. You know, Google, for example, um, they learned from all these other tech companies that were out there. And then when Facebook came, they hired the top ad person from Google. And then they got all the knowledge from Google onto Facebook and so on. And so you get these like multi-mega sort of decathons forming in that one place because all that talent accumulates from one startup to the next and to the one sort of unicorn to the decathon, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think, and, and the point you're making is that in Europe, it's it's a lot more diversified. Like, the, it's, like what you're saying is like, if, if I'm not mistaken, 
taken the data that I have, which is definitely, I'm, I'm sure it's not super exhaustive, but the data that I have is like, Europe has 65 unicorn cities, 65 unicorn <laughs> cities. And I don't know the number, but how spread out they are, kilometers wise, right? It's, 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 it's a shitload. And then I think like 30% or, or 40%, whatever, comes from the UK. So we also see that concentration. That is still true. That, you know, that is, that is definitely still true. But 65 unicorn cities. Well, good luck covering that as an angel it's, it's just impossible right? <laughs> you just can't do it so that that's that's basically what we what we advocate for right get that coverage and then double double down on what you know best and where you can add most value that's my perspective at least yeah, I, I was just going to see if you want to take some some questions here, Andreas. I know you've been kind of answering some of them, but you know, Mohammed here was asking: Does do LPs influence how and where the money is invested in a developing VC market more than a developed VC market? How do you work when you're syndicating and funding into these VC funds? Yeah, we typically go in and say what we like, and then we require them to invest in them. Especially require them to invest in our own deal because we love mm-hmm. our own place. <laughs> no, that is the that's typical a approach. <laughs> that's the typical approach of a bad LP. Unfortunately, as he also points out, Mohammed. Unfortunately, in in emerging ecosystems, you tend to have more LPs that, especially the government-backed ones, that go in and force the hand of the VCs to limit their geography to the space that they're in. I think that that's a good idea. That's typically a super bad idea, and, and you know, a million reasons why that is. And then. There's, there's also the question of, of, you know, let me backtrack. There's a reason why a VC chooses to build a VC, their VC fund around a specific thesis. That's because they're the best at, at executing on that thesis, and that's because that's what they believe in. Then it's not a good idea for someone with a big check to come and say, yeah, yeah, I'll give you money for that, but I would maybe love you to also do my uncle's type of business because that one is coming up soon. You know, because that's basically what's going on there. You know, and now I said uncle, but if it was the Danish growth fund that came in and, 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 and you know, arm wrestled the VC there, that would be in effect the same. It's ridiculous to start changing the thesis of the manager. Then, then you know, just say, thank, no, thanks. I don't believe in your thesis because I believe we should only invest in Denmark. So I'm using Dan or the Danish growth fund here just as an example because I'm from Denmark. They don't do that. They, they, you know, I actually think that they're a very good investor for Denmark. I also think that the EIF is a very good investor for, for Europe. But we have some of the less developed ecosystems that are doing exactly what Mohammed said. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just sharing some love here, it's important to recognize that yeah, for government money, right, funded more than 50% of the European venture ecosystem. So we can sit around and emerging managers typically do this and talk shit about government money. Well, if it weren't for it, we wouldn't be all here sitting around and talking and tooting our horns. But yes, Andres is absolutely right. Nothing to add there. I was going to pick up another question here. Have you mostly worked with emerging managers? And if so, if you've had most of your experience there. What, what does a good emerging manager look like? What's your experience? Question from Freddie. <laughs> Hi, Freddie. We love Freddie. He's a cool dude. I actually think Freddie Freddie could answer that. Freddie, if you're still in there, we'd love your take because Freddie works at Iserver Capital. They're also investing into emerging managers and, and, and early stage VC funds. I'd love to hear his take. My take is quite simple. It's like a startup, right? How many, how many new social networks do we see that we're like, oh, fuck. Really? Another, another one? You know, so, so it, it, the same happens. I think incredible emerging managers are just super aware of what is unique about them and why that is a good business case for an investor. And they just double down on that. So that focus on having a unique differentiated strategy is amazing. And that might be in some cases doing drug development in, 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 
investing in drug development, you know, in more developing markets, or it might be in other contexts, macroeconomic contexts and regional contexts, doing enterprise tech because there's just no player, but there are later stage investors ready to 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 take that and do follow-on rounds. So it, it's it's it, there's not a rule there. I would say just it's incredibly differentiated strategies and the ability to exploit that. Yeah, just if I should add to it, it's an incredibly complex question. I think what I would say is I would ask everyone listening in, you know, to go on the Emerging VC Substack and read some of our memos there because there we we really pick apart this, the, the thesis and the strategy and the, the teams and, and, you know, the structures behind the funds that we're investing in. And, and I think that that shows, you know, when people go in there, they, they can kind of see the complexity of it and also draw, draw their own conclusions as to what is it that, that, that is, you know, underpinning the strength of each team. Because sometimes it's because, you know, it's someone who's incredibly embedded inside a geo. So it might be someone who's, you know, I know a guy who's, you know, founded one of the best robotics companies in Denmark. That person, I would love to back if ever he decided to do a venture fund focused on robotics because, you know, he has thought leadership there. And founders are asking for advice all, the, all, all day long. So he would, he's the first one to hear about those deals and he, he has the access. They want him in there. And, and that's an example of someone who I think, you know, with the right team to back him up and everything, he could be magical, but you know it, it's incredibly complex because it's one thing to be able to source deals and find the right deals. It's another thing to know how to exit them. It's a third thing to know how to help them. Then there's the whole stewarding of people's money. You also need to be able to show discipline there, which is something that now we're coming out of a boom where many emerging managers or, or some emerging managers have burned their hands because they, you know, they got over their skis, you know, in this period. And, and that's not funny now. And that comes back to, you know, investment discipline and being rigorous in your method and, and staying true to where you started and not getting caught up in the hype. So in that sense, it is very difficult. And that's also why I think that people like us are probably a pretty good player to have in the ecosystem that both educates via the podcast, but also makes some educated guesses or bets with our syndicates and say, well, of all the managers we're meeting, we've just done 100 episodes and, you know, we screened many and said, no thanks, you're not going to get on the podcast. <laughs> but we've met even more, right? And and out of those, we've now chosen five that we're investing in. And I think that that's, that's a bit the magic there, that, that that you need players that can curate for you, at least in the beginning when you start out picking. Same thing with an angel club, right? Why do you join an angel club? Well, you, you do it because you need the deal flow, because you don't have... 100 startups knocking on your door every week as you would prefer if you want to deploy into startups. And also because you need someone to kind of say, yeah, this is a good deal. It might win, it might lose, it might die in, in three months, it might die in, in five years, or it might be the next Facebook. We don't know. But for what we know today, it looks like a good deal. And it's much the same with, with, with emerging managers. You need someone to help you curate that as you learn how to invest in this space. And then you start doing things more yourself. That's how I would go about it. Hmm, good. I think that gives us a good summary. You know, you need someone with an expertise in their investment thesis. You need someone with a good ecosystem. And you need a lot of resilience, right? Because at the end of the day, you're gambling with with other people's money and maybe some of your own money and you might lose it all. So I, I would say if you want to be an angel investor within the venture capital game, you have to be willing to, to lose some, especially as we're seeing now the market that we're entering into. So one question I had was, you know, since you do syndicates across Europe, 
How does it work administratively? Because there are different regulations in different countries. How do people transfer their money? Just kind of logistically, it'll be interesting for people to know how do you actually make this happen? So forward to that is nothing we say is advice, <laughs> recommendations, or should be perceived as such. And it's mostly us just sharing our challenges, our experiences, our pains, what we love, what we hate. Okay, that's really important. I think I think it's 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 not a you hit the nail on its head. It's so dispersed, different across Europe, right? Every single geo has different rules. There's even different minimum tickets into funds in different geos, right? Hopefully that will change in the coming two years with some policy developments. Anyway, the way we do it, <laughs> okay? The way we do it is we use we use simple UK structures and, and, and we pull in the money there and then we deploy the money like that. I don't want to dive too much in details because I, I don't think I'm the best person to do so. What I would say is there's a lot of players out there, interesting players, catering to different needs. So if, you, if you're doing a syndicate that has mostly people that are from one specific country, there is a big incentive for you to look for a solution based in that country, right? We are actually doing something that has people across different 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 countries in Europe. So it's, it would be really hard for us to pick Portugal because I'm in Portugal, Denmark because Andres is in Denmark, or France because there's a nice service provider there now, Switzerland, whatever. So we just went with a nice service provider that we like, you know, that that is well established, that has something that is in English, everyone understands, the platform is beautiful, the tech works nice, the product works nicely. And that 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 those are the biggest reasons we we went for. Then about syndicating, there's a difference between syndicating into startups and syndicating into funds. We do syndication into funds. It comes with extra challenges because there's things you cannot do for regulatory reasons, and, and which we agree with to some extent, because it's about protecting, protecting the investor. And when I say to some extent is venture capital is risk capital. As Nada said, you might lose your money. And as such, the, the retail investor needs to be protected, yes. What I disagree with is why is it easier to put all my money in my neighbor startup than into a professional fund managed by someone who's actually gone through hell to raise that fund. But that's a different topic. Yeah, I think I think there was one thing in what David said that kind of jumped a step because David said, well, you find a platform that blah, blah, blah. The problem is that I think many investors in Europe have not yet transferred from putting together syndicates with their local lawyers. Uh, to putting together syndicates via platforms. And I, you know, the legal fees of doing things yourself are typically much, much steeper, meaning yourself, meaning with a lawyer, right? Are typically much, much steeper than doing it with one of the platforms and everything is managed for you in terms of KYC and all that. And, you know, it's, it's just so much easier. So I would really recommend anyone listening in to, to, to start thinking about doing the syndicates with platform providers like Boban, who, who we really love. That, that's the ones we do using. I don't think David mentioned them. B-A-U-B-A-N. You know, we trust them a lot and, you know, they, they really make our world easier. And I think that that's something that, that, that everyone in Europe, if they're doing syndicates and aren't yet using a platform provider, get there unless they're lawyers themselves. How are your syndicates different from other syndicates in terms of how do you convince the people to come on and join your syndicate? Sometimes I feel like for an angel investor, it's easier when you have a startup, you have an idea, you can kind of sell their story. How do you sell your story? Yeah. Well, to me, actually, so there are multiple players that do syndicates into venture funds, but the others are only allowing you to put money there 
and then hope that you get it back in 10 years. And that's all good and well, and then it's an asset allocation play, but there's no career development. There's nothing in there that will get you better at venture investing. What we do is, because we say, well, the bulk of the market, we don't care at all, at all about, because that's the retail investors that are not inside the venture asset class. The ones we care about are the ones that are inside the venture asset class. It's angel investors. It's people that are employees in VC firms. It's people that are in, in incubators and accelerators. It's executives at, at, at large companies that are thinking about innovation strategy and that kind of thing. And all those people, when they invest with us, they, first of all, get a very thorough walkthrough of the investment strategy and all that. Through that, they can kind of think about that and contrast it to their own investment strategy and how, how that connects or, or, or difference and that kind of thing. So there's some more learning in it with us, I believe. You also get access to more legal documents with us. And that might sound like a super weird thing to say, but if you are an aspiring manager, meaning someone who wants to raise a fund at some point down the road, then having that collection of legal docs as to how do you actually put together a fund, what's necessary and so on, is quite invaluable, meaning that if you, when you start on that journey yourself, that's a black hole. You don't know what's in there. And for that reason, you end up going to a lawyer that is going to charge you a whole lot of money and will never give you a template. With us, you get that every single time you do an investment, right? Because it's part of the investment process. And then the next thing is when you, when you have invested with us, we onboard you on a, on, 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 you know, a platform that gives you access to the GP and the rest of the syndicate where you can add value to the GP by helping them source deals. So you can say, I've got this deal. I'm this guy in robotics in Denmark. I've got this deal. I really like it. You know, I think it fits with your thesis. What do you think? And then you'll get, you know, a meaningful response from them and they'll, they'll, they'll help you, you know, think through it and, 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 and they will maybe even join in the investment with you. So there's some magic in that and the rest of the syndicate, the 50 or 100 other people that are also from the venture ecosystem in Europe are looking in and of course, pitching in as well. So there is a magic there and it goes both on the on the scouting of deals. It goes on expertise in specific sectors and geographies and that kind of thing. And then it goes on helping the startup. So if a startup needs to get into Germany, but the VC and the startup doesn't have very great connections there, then someone in the syndicate might. And then they'll reach out and the syndicate investors can say, oh, that's me. I, you know, I know the guy at the, the hospital. Yeah, I'll have so that's the magic of our offering, I think. And and I don't know of anyone else who does that. And it's because you know you make more money if you choose to go where there's a lot of money. There's more money if you choose to go outside of the venture ecosystem. We don't because we love the venture ecosystem. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's something that I, I realized to, today or yesterday because of a string of meetings that I had, which is we actually have a lot of syndicate leads committing to our syndicates. So they are doing they're running like startup syndicates, right? And they see our syndicates exactly as Andreas was describing. It's a great way for me to learn from the best. Who are the best? VC investors, right? And that's that's kind of insightful. And, and realizing that was really kind of a pat on my own back. Like, okay, we're doing something right. At least they're recognizing it. But but to come back to your question, Nada, there's a lot of platforms out there. That's we're not a, like we're not we're not a product, but we're not we're not a platform providing the infrastructure to do your own SPVs. That's not what we're doing. That's a completely different game. We are we are running more as we're running the syndicate itself. We're, we're running the community that then deploys the capital, and that that's just important to clarify because those are completely different different games. Yeah, no, this is this is great. Thank you, thank you for sharing. I was just going to add: not only are you giving access to these venture portfolios to a vast majority of people who otherwise wouldn't have access, but you're also 
educating people along the way. So not only through the way that you're forming these syndicates, including people helping more emerging managers, perhaps, or angel investors become more experienced as they learn from VCs, but also through your podcasts, through your Substack, through what you post on LinkedIn. So, so thank you for all that you do. I think I really appreciate it as an aspiring fund manager myself and entering into this space. So I'm sure many of the audience of this podcast would be really, really grateful. But I wanted to end with some rapid fire questions. And I wanted to know from both of you, if you could briefly tell me about who are your favorite is to follow on social media and which media do you follow them on? So David, do you want to go first? I'm a terrible person to ask this. I, 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 I don't live that much in social media. The only social media I use is LinkedIn because we have to, because it's just, it's part of business. So I'll let Andreas lead this one because I think he has much better answers. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that there are three that are really worthwhile, you know, apart from David and me, of course. But it would be Gil Dipper from Angular Ventures. I think that he puts out amazing stuff, very thoughtful analyses. He called the crisis, you know, a year before it came, you know, the crash that we're seeing now. So I think that he's for sure someone you should you should follow. Then you've got Dan Bauer from Superseed, amazing content, a brain and a style that you won't find many places. So for sure, go there. And then a final one, which is Boris Mushalak from Smart Ventures. It's quite difficult to figure out how you spell that from, from how I said it. But what you also hear is, you know, and I really love a post he did the other day, which was about what do you do if you're a founder or a VC with a Russian sounding name? You know, that's a big problem right now. And he said, you need to put it on the first side of the pitch deck because you need to put it up front and center that I am not part of the Putin regime, right? And it's ridiculous. Again, <laughs> so many people are stuck there right now that, 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 that everyone's asking that question. So I thought that is, that's an example of someone who's willing to say things that honestly in the VC game, we're stuck with our hands in the money jar, right? How many of us actually dare say what we want to say in this crisis? A lot of people are wary of what they're saying. So I thought it was super cool by uh, by Boris from Smart Ventures to go out and say that. I also I also saw a very cool Twitter thread the other day by Samir Kaji uh, about LP topics and benchmarking and so on. So that that would probably be my one addition to what Andreas said. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. We'll post these on the thread so people can catch these names later on. And any favorite book or podcast? Of course, your podcast for sure. And do you have any other podcast that you would recommend? Well, let me start with book. There's a book that I love and I know some people really don't like it. And that's just makes me like it more, which is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. So it's the story behind Nike by Nike. And what I like about it is this kind of entrepreneur mindset that is really well kind of explained there like the, the the inner battles that that he goes through i love that and i'm a big i'm a big proponent and hopefully a pioneer of this venturepreneur concept where emerging managers are actually more entrepreneurs than fund managers and so i just love that 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 overlap and the learnings that a book like this can have for an emerging manager and then on the podcast front i'm going to be self-serving here an upcoming podcast which is going to be launched next month called the Urban Tech VC. And the Urban Tech VC is the new podcast in the EUVC platform, and it is focused on everything urban tech, prop tech, city sustainability, and it's with an amazing team. I will not say their names, but an amazing team of VCs out of Berlin. So I have as podcast Venture Unlocked by Simon Kati. I really love that one. Gives you a lot of you know insight into how he thinks about VC funds. So that's cool. And book I have a really weird one. It's called A Short Treatise on the Great Virtues. And then it's The Uses of Philosophy in Everyday Life. It's by a guy called Andre Comte de Sponville. It's super cool for people that are thinking all the time about venture and doing angel investing and all that stuff. 
to also be thinking about how to be a good moral human being. And I just love how that brings you through that. It's not that short. I think it's 370 pages. So get ready for some very, you know, winkling weird language there, but you'll learn a lot. <laughs> awesome. And then the last question I had was a founder, a CEO, a leader that you've really looked up to or has had a big influence in your career so far. I think I, I saw Andreas's notes for this because obviously, guys, we, we did prepare a tiny bit for this, right? If you're listening in. And I saw Andreas's note and I see the first name he put and I was like, fuck, I was going to say that. So, Andreas, I'll let you say it because you prepared it, but know that we very much share that. Yeah. Yeah. So, our the, the first one that David teases here is Joe Short. He's the founding partner of, of Isomer Capital. He has come to be a bit of a mentor for both David and I as we've been building the European VC and how we think about our funding investing and all that. He always has an ear to us and, and also gives us, you know, sage advice. So we, we really owe him a lot and we're very, very thankful for the assistance there. And then for me personally, before him, I, I'd probably say it's the vice chancellor that I spoke of earlier, Henrik Dam from, from, from my old university, University of Southern Denmark. He took me under his wing and really brought me into the venture, not to the venture scene, but to the business world. And, and for some reason, he trusted me. <laughs> so that was nice. Yeah. I, I would bring up someone that is like super known his name is david as well and that's probably why just kidding <laughs> no david malta portuguese uh, she as well and the biggest reason they're similar to, to andreas is this is a young guy he's like five years older than me or whatever but he's actually the one if not yeah he's probably the one responsible for me being into venture uh, in venture and and i just owe him a, a lot and he's like biotech dude did amazing stuff on the startup front did fund the fund investing did fund investing now he's back in fund the fund investing doing amazing stuff out of switzerland now so do follow him he's 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 super active about in on like everything that's biotech so if that interests anyone listening in i would highly recommend following him and, and checking his stuff Awesome. Thank you so much. You've given us some great tips and just a lot of valuable information on, on what you do, how to syndicate, what is venture capital, what's the state today. There are many topics we didn't cover. We would have loved to, but I'll, we'll have to bring you back on another time. And there'll be more, more of this. There'll be more of this, I'm sure of it. So thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to following your new podcast, The Urban Tech VC. So for the, those listening, please do find David and Andreas on Spotify and all your streaming platforms. And if you want to get in touch with them, you can reach out to them on on LinkedIn. You can also maybe, you can maybe say where else they can get in touch with, with you. Do you have your website maybe? Yeah, it's very easy. So our names are David and Andreas. And so if you want to drop us an email, just write David or Andreas at eu.vc. Very easy, eu.vc. Awesome. Thank you both for joining. And the recording will be available for all of you on LinkedIn and YouTube. So feel free to check that out if you weren't able to see the entire live. And there will also be a podcast version on Spotify and Apple Podcast and wherever you listen to your podcast. So thank you so much and have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.